You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just gotta turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change, like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on, and Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. P- please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. This podcast is a proud member of the Quite The Thing Media Network. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. Oh my gosh, they're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube inside of a sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. This isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy. First off, thank you very much for the feedback on the most recent interview with Stephen Bassett. Again, I'm doing air quotes, I think, when I say interview, because that was Stephen Bassett talking for several hours and me directing the conversation as best I could. Uh, I've got my guest for the show tonight laughing on camera here as I say that, because we're talking about it off air. And Stephen was great to speak to, but... Yeah, he was just a, a million miles an hour. Uh, but thank you so much for all the feedback. And I'll definitely speak to Stephen far more prepared down the line one day. Um, on the show with me, though, I have, well, an author, um, host of his own podcast, uh, TV personality, lecturer, bartender, you know, and, and many more things to add to that as well. I've got Ryan Sprague, host of Somewhere in the Skies. Ryan, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing good, man. Hey, I do magic too. I don't think I ever shared that with you. I used to do a little sleight of hand illusions when I was younger. So we can add that to the resume too, I guess. Yeah, podcast magic doesn't work that well, especially in an audio format. It, <laughs> That's it a good point. Going, it just be me going, oh, yeah, he done it. Yep, that was good. Yeah, I, so. I promise he he made it disappear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he made it look like a pyramid when it was actually a triangle. Yeah, but we'll, we'll get, we'll get, we'll to get that. there. But listen, yeah. What I want to say is, this Ryan's uh, stuck with me, so uh, we have just recorded the preview interview for his Contact in the Desert appearance. Go and check that out, and check out Contact in the Desert as well, but this is the main podcast for our Friday show. First off, I want to say a massive congratulations, Ryan. Four million downloads and counting just recently as well. That is a a little ripple of applause from myself. Uh, When did you start Someone in the Skies now? I mean, it must seem like a a lifetime ago, but how long has it been? Oh, thanks, brother. Um, So I started the podcast, I believe it was in November of 2017, I want to say. I remember I was um, I was getting ready to move, actually, not too, not too long before that to uh, Los Angeles um, before I started the podcast. So I was starting out. I didn't know how it was going to go. If anyone would listen, I didn't know. Um, I was very fortunate to have Richard Dolan is my first guest. So that really helped me out, get some street cred. Um, But some, you know, 200 and something episodes later, and I just, I can't even begin to tell you, man, like I never in my wildest dreams thought people would care about what I have to say about UFOs or 
what what I could really contribute to the topic in podcast form. I just wanted to interview people who I found interesting. And apparently other people felt the same way. And I've just had an incredible support system along the way. And that includes you and um, and a lot of your listeners who listen to both of our shows. And um, thank you. Thank you for that. It's it's uh, It's been a lot of hard work, as you know. Podcasting is a second job, uh, if not a third and fourth and fifth job as well. So I don't know how you can have kids, man. I don't even have kids and I can barely do the podcast myself. So, um, yeah, it's been a wild ride. I think my wife would ask that same question. Um, so, yeah, it's it's definitely a second, third, fourth and fifth job as well. But you, you, that's I always say that's a, that's our problem and not other people's. And uh, the people, it's hard, I think, sometimes for them to realise that we're not always on our social media accounts as much as our phones might be in our hands these days. Um, and like I, I'll be responding to people while the kids are playing in the background or emailing or I'll be editing shows. Like my wife was, as people might know, my wife's due to give birth in a few weeks. I was editing a show outside one of her appointments the other day when I sat with my laptop in the car. Uh, yeah, that was a it, true it was, podcaster through and through. Absolutely. And I was just like editing, clipping. Yep, cool. That'll be good to go later on. And then because we're not allowed in because of COVID, so I have to sit outside. So, but that's the kind of things you do. But that's that's about me. It's not about you. I, I'd if love you to. Have... Can I hop in there, brother? There was a photo yeah, on, on Facebook I saw. Just to kind of piggyback off of that, this guy, he was um, getting ready to record a podcast episode. I don't know what his podcast was about, but he lost power in his home um, and internet and everything. And he he knew he had to get this done. Like he had a schedule. He stuck to it. So he went to a Burger King that had power, went in there, set up his mini studio in one of the booths in the Burger King and recorded it right there at the uh, at the restaurant. So that, that's dedication. And that's what it takes. Like if you got to do it in the uh, the waiting room when your wife is given labor, like that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. Make for an interesting episode. I can tell you that much. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that guy who recorded in Burger King, it was a Whopper episode. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's, <laughs> nice. that is good. I like that. <laughs> that's that's the only pun you'll get on this one, folks. Um, have you had any highlights in your time as well of recording all those shows, like 200? And obviously Richard Dolan is a massive one to start off with. But have you had any particular ones that stand out? Yeah, I mean, obviously the uh, the Elizondo one. Um, I know you and I had him on around the same time and, we were, you and I were like texting back and forth. Like, what are you going to ask him? Okay. What are you going to ask him? Oh, I'm, I don't, why don't you do that? This, that, this, that. Um, and I was so nervous, man. And I remember talking to him on the phone before the interview and, uh, that really put me at ease. He was so nice and like accommodating. He was like, ask me anything you want, whether I can answer it or not is another question. But, um, you know, like I'm, he, he did that whole, I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy caught up in all this, you know, sort of thing. And that did put me at ease and kind of demystified the whole, you know, Elizondo intelligence guy thing. Um, but, you know, a couple of weeks right before that, I had Avi Loban, which I know you have as well. And that was a big one for me, too. Uh, I I didn't know how popular that guy actually was until I saw the numbers come in after the episode and um, just how much of a gentleman he was. That was one of probably one of my favorite interviews because I had no idea what to ask this guy. Um, basically, I went in being like, what's Oumuamua? Tell us. And um, it kind of went from there. And it was an amazing conversation. But uh, yeah, I've had some 
some fun ones in the past, some clunkers, some some winners. Um, I remember I had Dean Eliotto on, the filmmaker, to talk about his uh, his found footage film, uh, Abduction, the alien abduction or incident at Lake County, which was really popular in the 90s on Fox. It actually came before Blair Witch Project, so it was one of the actual first found footage films about a family being abducted by aliens. That, that's not the... The, Mc, the McPherson tape? Yes. So the, the, he made the original called it? the McPherson tape. And then uh, it kind of faded into obscurity. And then uh, it started circulating around the UFO community. People thought it was real. They said, we found a lost tape of a family being abducted by aliens. Little did they know, uh, actually, Dean remade this thing for television. Uh, I believe it was... Um, UPN, a station here in the U.S., who bought the rights and they remade it and uh, put it on television. And that's what I saw. I saw the um, the updated, more Hollywood version on UPN. And still, people thought that the McPherson tape was real, even though they had remade it with actors. So they thought it was a big cover-up thing. So I talked to Dean all about the two versions of the film, um, how people to this day still believe the McPherson tape is real. Uh, the power of belief. Um, but the funny thing is, I interviewed with him for two hours, man. And I don't know if this has happened to you. The file just completely disappeared off my computer. I tried everything. Um, and I was just heartbroken. It was an amazing conversation. I didn't want to go to him and be like, sorry, let's re-record this. Um, so I didn't know what to do. Um, but I finally told him you know, what was up. And he was so nice. We recorded it again the following day and it was just that much better. So that was one of my most memorable ones as well. Do you know, I remember watching the McPherson tape as a kid. It was like one of those nights I had a friend staying over and I, tr- I was going to try not to do this, but he was staying over to watch a wrestling pay-per-view that was on it. <laughs> that was on at 1am UK time, which they normally were. And we were in the sitting room and we'd put blankets down and stuff. And you're, you're just trying to stay awake when you're in the UK for wrestling pay-per-views. You, you guys have got it lucky in the States lucky, where it's yeah. 7 p.m. and 5 p.m. and whatnot for different time zones. But yeah, we were always 1 a.m. starts for a Oof. 4 a, 5 a.m. finish. So you're trying to stay awake and fight that awkward phase where you're normally going to sleep. And we were flicking through the movie channel, at the time, Sky Movies at the time, and it came up and I remember it was like, it just looked really weird because like you say, it was found footage. I saw it after the Blair Witch, but like you say, it was it was made before. And I just always remember the scene where they're, they're running through the house and it's all in a house out in the kind of wood, basically. It's kind of kind of closed off locale and they're they're in a bedroom and basically they're trying to escape because these little greys have eventually ended up in the house and they're they're in the room with the camera and you the the room's dark in darkness but you can see the light from the hallway and the door slams shut and you just catch a glimpse of one of the greys standing behind the door behind the door And I remember being terrified of that. And it yep. proper chilled me, even though when you watch it and you're like, it has credits at the end. <laughs> so, <you> know, <laughs> it, that should give away that, yeah, this isn't actually found footage. But there was still that little bit in my head as a kid, like, oh, that that, that could have been real. Like, that that could have been real. Yeah, Dad, absolutely. Man. By, you know, and I still, to this day, it still gives me chills when I watch it. I think it was so well done. And again, Dean was the pioneer and found footage. Like no one had really done it 
before. So he he kind of went in, um, you know, not nowadays with on footage. There's a strict formula and everyone knows where to put the yeah. camera, how to do this. He was just going off, you know, flying by the seat of his pants. And um, it became a sort of a cultural icon. You talk about anyone about the McPherson tape and they kind of know what you're talking about. And, um, you know, to this day, I still, there are people who believe it was real, but, um, you know what that scene is when the aliens are invading the home. He told me he, that was directly inspired by the Mm -hmm. Hopkinsville goblin case, um, of this family who were attacked in their farmhouse back in, what was it? The, I want to say the fifties or early sixties, maybe Hopkinsville goblin case. I, I don't recall, but, um, he said, yeah, it was directly inspired by that. And then you would go to see similar things happen in uh, things like Signs by M. Night Shyamalan, like this idea of an enclosed space being invaded um, by aliens with one family. So, yeah, I think he really set the uh, set the standard and paved the way for a lot of those films. If people haven't seen it, it's one of those like stick on with some friends that are into the subject as well. Maybe don't don't sit down with a wife, no friend, boyfriend, husband, partner, kids. It's it's find someone who else who likes the subject or the topic and watch it with them. It's probably a bit of fun to do that. But listen, that that's good to hear some of those highlights. People can dive into your archive and check out somewhere in the skies. You've got the YouTube channel as well, and also the the Patreon, and we'll give all those details away at the end, and they'll be in the links for the description too. Since we last spoke, Ryan, you've also got involved with The Debrief. And I just wanted to find out a little about how did that come about? Because you've written a few articles for them now. Uh, and has it been what you expected when you first got involved? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been writing freelance for a while now. Um, I, you know, I kind of got my start in the UFO journalism world uh, early on with Open Minds. When back when they had a print magazine, it was beautiful. I mean, we're talking like a 60, 70 page magazine monthly, just gorgeous images and articles written by very renowned researchers throughout the world. And uh, I, you know, I gave it a try. I uh, I pitched a story to them. They accepted it. And I think I ended up doing about nine or 10 articles in the run of their magazine, um, which was amazing. It, I really got to stretch my, my muscles when it came to writing because I was strictly a playwright before that, you know, just writing for the stage here in New York City. And um, I wanted to get more involved in the UFO community. And I thought, okay, my I'm definitely a writer. That's what I know I like to do. So let's give it a try. And um, ever since then, I've written for other various magazines in the US and the UK. Um, and yeah, it kind of, it kind of, teetered out after open minds closed down their magazine. I didn't really have an outlet for that. Um, so I started writing independently on medium, you know, the big website where you can publish your own stuff and got hooked up with Bryce Zabel over there. So he's got kind of his own literary, uh, digital magazine going on and it's awesome. I, I still write over there when I can. Uh, and then I had heard rumblings of this new organization. um, and I knew the owners, obviously. So that was kind of my in. Um, I was on really good terms with all those guys over there at the debrief. And I had no idea if they were looking for writers, if anything I had to say was worth, uh, you know, being on the debrief. But I gave it a try. And it was kind of just like open minds. They said, pitch us something. I did. And then 
lo and behold, I'm about 20 articles in over there. So um, it's been an incredible ride. It's, uh, I will say this, it really challenged my my writing style. There's a very strict format at the debrief, if anyone has noticed. And that was hard for me because I was, I'm a very free wielding writer. And um, especially with playwriting, you just kind of go organically, but this is very strict journalism debrief does, and they hold themselves to very high standards. And I respect that. So it's been a big, uh, a big lesson for me, for sure. Is that something they gave you from the start that we have standards we're going to have and we have a tone? Now, I don't think it's unfair to say as the debrief, and this word's going to come up a few times in the podcast, um, hyped its arrival. Um, Tim and Micah and MJ uh, were talking about this. This organisation was coming and people maybe heard for a few days beforehand. Um, once we got the name of it, people started following the account and we had the little countdown video and it went online the majority of the followers and people waiting on it are interested in UFOs, UAPs. That was going to be the attraction. Is that how it was, if the word is sold to you or pitched to you, that they were going to be going down that route? Or was it always a case of that we've got all these different avenues we're going to look at and one focus will be UFOs? Or will it be the primary focus and audience will be UFO, UAP? So... I know for a fact that when the debrief first came around, uh, the idea was actually Micah Hanks is the brainchild behind the entire project. And if anyone knows Micah, he has many different interests, not just UAP. And um, and he said flat out when he got hooked up with Tim and, and, and MJ, and I don't think I'm sharing too much about like how it all formed. They've talked very publicly about this. Uh they said, cool, yeah, let's cover UFOs when we can, but it has to be to the standard that we would have everything else on the website. We have to vet sources. We have to uh, fact check. I mean, these articles go through rigorous editing and um, vetting before anything goes to print. I can say that for a fact. And I mean, I'm a UFO guy, Andy, and I, I've only written two UFO articles at the debrief. So, um, no, UFOs are not their main focus. It never was intended to be. I think when people saw who was involved and uh, that we were kind of writing about UFOs, that that's what it was going to be, the new kind of outlet for that. But it is not. It's a very small part of what the debrief does and stands for. But, hey, UFOs have kind of been exploding lately. So, of course, we're going to cover it. And um, we have members like Tim who have very deep connections and um, we're going to use that as much as we can. And, and I, uh, I, I'm very happy and uh, that I don't get to just talk about UFOs. I get to talk about whatever I find of interest and bring to the debrief. And they might say, nah, not for us or no, Ryan, that's really stupid. We're not covering that or too outlandish. To be honest, there's things I brought to them and they're like, nope, you can't verify that whatsoever. We're not doing it. And I really respected that. Before we get to talk about the last seven to 10 days and what's going on, because I want to hear your thoughts on it. And a lot of the listeners were saying that as well. I want to talk about the debrief's first big article. I know they had a few on like the fast walker stuff and there's been some great stuff on there as well on uh, modern military technology and breakthrough technologies and the science field. And all, There's a lot of great content on there and I check it out myself. So want to talk to you about the debrief, one of their first big articles on, on UFO UAP that broke and we got a picture of what at the time 
And this has only just changed recently, but it was known as the Batman balloon. We had a picture that was taken from a fighter pilot's uh, point of view on uh, what we now know as an iPhone, an iPhone 8, I believe we now know is as much detail as that, of an object that appears to be hovering at an altitude uh, that it was quite a distance away from the, the aircraft. However, when you zoom in, it had a quite unique shape. Now, this, I, I saw it, that I was waiting, I was refreshing like everyone else was that day, you know, bang, 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 F5, F5, F5. Um, and eventually the article comes up and you get this picture and you get some of the details behind it and it was incredible. And things blew up very, very quickly, though, because we're in 2020 and 2021 with their social media, people pinned that it was very close, if not the exact shape of a kid's Mylar party balloon, um, a Batman balloon. And it seemed to, I don't want to say let the air out, because that would be another pun, and I said I wouldn't have any more puns, but it let the air out the story slightly because it did look really similar. And then all of a sudden, we had loads of, you know, experts, air quotes, jumping on saying that those balloons can't go to that height, those balloons can go to that height. Well, if it was filled with hydrogen, it can get to that height, but why would a kid's balloon fit in? It all just blew up. Now, what were your initial thoughts or take on that article and the content we got in it? And have your thoughts changed over time? Obviously not to get into what we're about to talk about uh, from the last week or so. Yeah. Um, So I was just like you, man. Like I didn't know much about the article before it came out, um, the Transmedium one. And, uh, you know, they were pretty tight-lipped about it. A lot of us other contributors at the debrief had no idea it was coming either. And uh, Tim had been working on that article for almost a year. So, I mean, for anyone to say, like, he just kind of whipped it together, you know, it was it was meant to disinform the public. Like, I know for a fact it wasn't. I know um, that they vetted their sources extremely well. And we got reports from the UAP task force. Like, there's no getting around that. Someone wanted these things out to the public. Why? I don't know. T- only Tim might know the answer to that, or he might not. Um, so, you know, that article came out, it was really, it made a big splash. And then the following day, they came out with the photo of the quote unquote Batman balloon. Um, So I remember the minute it went on, of course, like the server crashed and a lot of people were pretty upset about that. But again, the debrief is a very small operation and they were not expecting the kind of traffic they got. Um, It's a good problem to have for sure. And um, once I saw it, I had to really zoom in and I, I, I can't pretend that I was like amazed or I thought that's, that is a craft from Zeta Reticuli. Um, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was compelling, but I like, I hope most people wouldn't immediately say, yep, that's a, that's an alien craft. Um, to me, it did. It looked like some sort of Mylar balloon. And uh, that's kind of what I went with. And I remember, you know, the Transmedium article came out and I was having the three um, members of the debrief on my podcast that night to talk about the article uh, or I'm excuse me, the following day. And that's when they dropped the photo. So I was going into this interview right as they had dropped the photo. And now I had this whole new thing we had to bring into the conversation. So I asked the guys, I'm like, what? Like, what do you think it is? You posted it. And all of them said the same thing. We don't know. The person who sent us 
this does not know. And it very well could be some sort of balloon. Um, so, you know, a lot of people said that debrief had hyped it up and that they were, um, making more of it than it actually was. Um, you know, the only defense I can say is Tim is one of the biggest skeptics about it and he's the one who published it. So I don't know, man, like you said, experts came out of the woodwork in both camps saying it was a balloon. It was not, you, it wouldn't make it up to that elevation. It would be blowing in the wind. It wouldn't be standing still. And every argument is viable because we don't have enough data to know what happened. And that's, what's most frustrating when it comes to these leaks or these sources is, um, you know, we just don't have enough information to make any opinion. I don't care if you're Mick West or you're someone who thinks it is a craft from another planet. Like we don't know because we don't have enough to go off of. You cannot, you cannot make a determination by one photo or eight seconds of a pyramid video. I'm sorry. That was when I done my Room 101 uh, Christmas special show uh, and you got involved in that as well, Ryan. Sean Cahill's Room 101 was he wanted to get rid of one source evidence uh, because that was his very point that if you have a photo or just a video or a piece of witness testimony on its own, it doesn't really mean anything because you, there's so little to verify it with. What you need is the photo or the video and the testimony to go along with it and the radar data and the pilot to go on, you know, what they saw and then someone else to come on and then this other system data to, and I totally appreciate that. And we've seen this even happen again as recent as last week. So uh, George Knapp and Jeremy Corbell started tweeting it was going to be a, a good week for UFO news, it looked like. And very quickly, people jumped on board with the please stop hyping things up. People don't like hype. I, I don't see anything wrong, and I, I think hype hype's the word because in a way it is hype, but you're letting people know that something's going to be coming out rather than just drop it in the middle of nowhere. That's what you do. P movie companies don't just release a movie and no one knows it's coming. You get teaser trailers and you get announcements and interviews beforehand, and same with articles. You're just letting people know that, and it's work they have done as well. People forget that, whether it's Tim McMillan, yourself, Micah, MJ, the debrief, the New York Times, you know, a, a news show, there's work that goes in behind the scenes and you want the fruition of your work to get as many eyes and ears or whatever it may be as, as possible on that. So I've got no issue with that. And I think what they've done, it was very quick as well. George Knapp let us know that a piece of news was coming. What then very quickly followed was a follow-up to that debrief article where we got a, another frame. It's not the same picture of the Batman balloon. I believe it's another frame forward on it. And then we've got a, another picture of what became known as the sphere or jellyfish, a more rounded almost, a camera artifact-looking picture. And uh, the final one was the metallic blimp. I'm getting those right in my head. What were your thoughts then when you see George Knapp releasing those images? Obviously, it's a follow-up to a pretty recent story. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was really interesting. I mean, again, like we had the quote-unquote Batman balloon photo, and that's all we had to work off of. Now we know that there were other photos taken in that cockpit on that day in the same time period. So we can't really say it was just this one thing because we're now looking at three different objects taken around the same time. Uh, I think we've since learned they are separate objects, at least one or two of them are. Uh, but I thought they were 
compelling. But again, like, and this is no fault against George Knapp. His reporting is, in my opinion, extremely well done. And he gave us all he could, all he was told at this meeting where he obtained these photos uh, with a very interesting source, I might add, Robert Bigelow, who was in possession of these photos and was giving a presentation, I believe, to members of the the UAP task force. So I think that's the biggest mystery in all of this is why is Robert Bigelow now involved in this again in 2019 when supposedly he'd gotten out of it a while ago? I think that's a question people have to ask themselves is, wow, like this is where this is coming from. Robert Bigelow, really interesting. Um, As for the photos themselves, again, I I don't like to, um, to really make a determination either way because we don't have enough data. I mean, for me, the blob or the orb to me looks like a very severely out of focus photo. And a lot of people have made that observation. As for the other two, um, could be a balloon, could be a interdimensional craft from another place. I don't know, man. I honestly don't know. Um, But these are the photos that the UAP task force are looking at. And that also says something like, why were these, why were these photos given to us as the public? And what role did these photos play within the task force? Like we've heard, um, these were shown to people in Congress, in the task force to determine, like, can we make sense of these? Um, kind of used as an example of, can you identify that? No. Okay. That's a problem. Like we should probably, show it to someone else. Uh, So they were kind of used as tests. So I do have to wonder, were these very simple prosaic objects and they wanted to see how members of the task force responded to them? Or are they legitimately unidentified phenomena? I I can't tell you. Um, It's very revealing that these photos, the videos coming forward in the past week or so, uh, that they were shown in briefings and were used as examples. If those are the examples, what else is out there that they're looking at? What I would like to think is if they are using them as some sort of test of uh, prosaic objects, that what we don't see is that, okay, so if you think those are balloons, then what's this? And that's when they pull out the slides and the videos and the footage that we don't see, which is the more eye-opening stuff that has senators and congressmen and congresswomen coming out of meetings going, ah, okay, this maybe is something we should be looking at. and Yeah, that's I, I would have to I, agree with you. Um, I totally get well, people's frustrations. I have to say that, Ryan, because I, I get where people will be like, yeah, but we should have this and we should have that. And But I also get that who are we to ask for classified data and systems information and what's enough, how, how much is enough? And some people won't like to hear that, but there comes a point when we're, we're getting all of this that we're getting and maybe it's it's still a little divisive for a reason. Um, again, and you touched on the, the footage that we got. Jeremy Corbell, 24 hours after the George Knapp release, said there was more stuff coming. He announced at uh, 12 p.m. PST or 8 p.m. UK that there was going to be some, some more stuff dropping. And boom, at that time, we get the footage of the triangular UFO from eyewitnesses. It's apparently pyramid-shaped UFOs. Um, we've had Dave Beattie putting out a WhatsApp message screenshot saying he spoke to someone who said their brother-in-law saw it and it wasn't pyramid-shaped. 
So again, it's all he said, she said, and hearsay and screenshots. And what I find funny is we're getting all this official stuff put out. And I'll use official in air quotes again. That is really interesting to look at. And I think people like us are looking at it going, wow, and we're not hoping to see something interesting. But if if taking it to face value, if this stuff isn't identified, then that's really interesting. But people don't see that as enough to to find it fascinating. Yet it just takes one person to do an experiment on a bit of rope or with their blinds opening and closing in their room or for someone to show a screenshot of a message for someone saying, nope, I I know someone's brother-in-law saw it and they said it wasn't a pyramid UFO and people are quite happy to go, yep, see, there you go, someone said it wasn't. Why is that enough to, to debunk and poo-poo it? Yet the other stuff isn't enough just to look into it. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not enough. Um, I, I personally feel that uh, anyone debunking the the video that Jeremy Corbell brought forward, uh, they don't have enough to make that determination. I find some of the arguments extremely uh, compelling and convincing. Uh, I, I can say that. I do think that some of the people in this community that we look at as skeptics or debunkers uh, have very valid arguments. Um, but also, at the same time, we don't know, like you mentioned earlier, we don't have the context. Um, you know, Jeremy really did the best he could uh, with what he was given. And I do give him credit. You know, he gave as much context to the video as he possibly could. And um, and I respect that because that's more than a lot of people do when they, you know, they try to drop something sensational. And the video, it's it's interesting. It really is. Um you know, but now the hard questions really start. Who gave this to Jeremy Corbell? Why did they give it to him? And um, for what purpose? And why are these people leaking these things to the debrief, to George Knapp, to Jeremy Corbell? What is the motivation for giving these stuff to the public prior to this UAP task force report in June? Like, is this some rogue intelligence person who wants this stuff to get out there because they know it wouldn't? in the classified report or, you know, is this some test and disinformation? Um, I can't say it's not. We, we just, we simply do not know. And um, that's hard. That's hard when you're working with anonymous sources. Um, it's frustrating. And I understand it's frustrating for people looking at the video, people reading the articles on the debrief when it says anonymous source. Uh, that's a, that's, that's an argument that's been around since the dawn of journalism, but um, it, it's it's tough, man. I think it's exciting, um, man. It got people excited. Uh, the pyramid video is, you know, making it across the pond. It's making it all over the place now. So, if anything, it's getting the UFO topic out there. It's getting more eyes on it, and maybe we can find answers to it. I, I don't know, but uh, I thought it was interesting. Um, I find both sides of the argument valid on what it could be, what it couldn't be. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was pretty cool. What's your gut telling you, Ryan? If you're looking at that triangle video flashing across now, and you know what I'm getting at here. I won't even use the word alien, right? Because it, it might not be, but are you looking at something you feel just, you must lean one way or another that that's probably human tech or is it that something else? I I might get heat from 
from Corbell, who is a friend of mine, because uh, I know he feels differently. Um, but again, he might know more than we do. I look at the photos released by Nap. I look at the video released by Corbell, and my gut is telling me that this is unknown technology from this planet. I, I do firmly believe that. Now, you know, we can talk to our faces blue about it's not Russia, it's not China, but we don't know that. We simply do not know that. Um, what I saw in the video, the blinking lights kind of um, gave me pause and made me think that this might be a conventional aircraft of some sort, whether it's a drone or something. Um, I don't know. But again, we need more context. And again, Jeremy tried. He really did. He gave us all the information he could about where it happened, who took the video, um, why it was a cell phone of another camera, like all of those reasons, which Dan brought up in an episode of yours as well, which was very uh, spot on. Like a lot of people are like, why is it like a cell phone? It's like, because that's what they were doing to capture it from another camera. Um, otherwise, it would probably be classified. And we would never have seen it. Yeah. But now it's the property of that person who took the video. So, yeah. I tell you, I bet I would love to see the same tic-tac, gimbal, and go-fast videos. I would have loved if they had iPhone 8s for those <laughs> to film. this And sh show me the footage on the iPhone 8, not the FLIR cameras, not, not on anything else. Show me that footage on those cameras just to see what it potentially was and you know yeah. what people still wouldn't have been happy um uh, and I they just, never like, are Andy. and i think that's what we that's what frustrates me frustrates me most in this field and i know it does a lot of people that when nap comes out with something like this or the debrief or corbell whoever um it's never enough for people and it never will be like i wouldn't care if that video was three minutes long of a pyramid flying through the sky more people would still find some way to poo-poo uh, it. Uh, they simply will, just by the outlet that that put it out. Um, you know, Jeremy is a very steadfast guy in his ways, and he's he knows what he wants to say, and he's going to say it. He doesn't give a crap what anyone thinks. And some people don't like that about him. And simply because this video came out from him, that's going to paint uh, the perception of what he released to the public for some people. Um, it, it's, that's just the way it is. People who may not respect the work of George Knapp, they're gonna, um, they're gonna be extra hard on what he's releasing. And look, if you're going to put it out there, you, you gotta be ready for that. And, um, I think they were, I think they both did dynamite reporting on what they could with what they had. And, um, that's the only sort of defense I would give to it. I think we don't have enough information and we can't make a determination on what any of it is. We simply can't. We've got the impending deadline for the potential, and I say now potential UAP task force report coming um, at some point, maybe in June. <laughs> I'm using potential, maybe. Yeah. What were your thoughts when you first heard about the potential of a report and have they changed to where they're at now? as to what we may or may not get in June. Yeah. Uh, when I first heard about it, I was really excited, um, as I think a lot of the community was. And we should be. I think people should still be excited. The fact that we're getting anything at any time, I think, is something to look forward to. But that doesn't mean, you know, that, we, that we're going to get anything 
um, potentially earth shattering or the proof of disclosure we've always wanted. I think the reality of the situation is it's going to be, um, you know, kind of just layering on top of what we already know about the Tic Tacs and the gimbals and the pyramids and, and everything in between. Um, so I'm not expecting a lot, especially after that article came out in Politico uh, by Brian Bender about how, you know, certain military branches and intelligence agencies were sort of stonewalling the UAP task force who were going in saying, hey, like, you, you got to give us what you got on UFOs. And a lot of them straight up said, no, nah, no, nah, we're not going to do that. Um, that 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 was a little sobering when I read that, but that really put it into perspective. Um, I don't think we should really expect much. Um, I think we should be thankful for what we do get in some ways uh, and thankful for the reporting that is getting done on the topic with what we have again, whether it's Jeremy or Knapp or whoever um, insert UFO journalist here. Um, I think we should just be thankful that the topic is getting the coverage it is, and and hopefully it's going to put pressure on the United States government to um, to kind of up the ante, and we're not just going to accept, you know, um, yeah, yeah, we we've seen a couple things, and uh, it's nothing to worry about because that clearly is not the case when you have stuff like this coming out. Ryan, let's finish off with some listener questions again. Thank you very much for your time. Obviously, we've recorded the preview. We've recorded this and a little peek behind the curtain. Myself and Ryan have been talking about all kinds of things in between as well. Um, and for a couple of people did actually ask about the, the wrestling chat. We'll save that for another time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, thanks. To it's those happening. Who yeah, probably best keeping that one on Twitter just now. But maybe we'll do something down the line for, for wrestling fans. Um, but Ryan, first up, uh, one of the listeners uh, Dave here saying, Ryan did a brilliant episode featuring the writer of The Eleventh Green, a film about Eisenhower meeting with ET ambassadors. I've still to see that. Um, uh, in my reading and in, in the subject, including the book Ryan wrote a foreword to about Eisenhower's encounter, um, he thinks the writer was really well informed and he was getting some of his info from insiders. What's your view on the truth of the alleged Eisenhower encounter and the film's potential inside knowledge? Hmm. Well, thank you, first of all, uh, whoever said that. That was a really fun interview um, with the filmmaker. The the film is fantastic. For anyone who hasn't seen it, The 11th Green, I would highly suggest it. As a purely narrative standpoint, I, I, it was just a brilliant, structured film. It was really interesting. Whether you believe in the whole Eisenhower met with aliens story or not, uh, the way that this filmmaker chose to tell the story and kind of um, mess with time and uh, and everything in between, uh, I thought was really interesting. So I highly recommend the film. Um, as for the book I wrote the foreword to by Paul Blake Smith, um, that was a bit more in the realm of reality when it comes to this whole thing. Uh, Paul is a very, very good researcher, uh, especially when it comes to uh, Eisenhower. I mean, we talked on this interview maybe – for 40 minutes just about Eisenhower not even about these alleged meetings with aliens or anything like that uh and that's what I found most interesting I didn't know much about about Eisenhower before that and um I thought it was pretty cool to get a history of who this guy was uh what kind of president and leader he was 
and why if there was going to be a president who met with aliens he probably was one of the better ones that it had happened with um so where i personally stand on it um i don't know i i I can't be convinced that it happened because there is absolutely no definitive proof of that but i will say the reason i wrote the foreword to that book is because i think there is very compelling evidence that this author came up with he also does not make a you know firm stance either way he presents the facts he presents the documents he's found and he makes an argument for it so um it was one of my most highly downloaded episodes the recent one with the author paul blake smith so clearly people are interested in the story and it has had a very special place in ufo folklore for so long and um yeah i i thought it was fun i thought it was a really cool interview and i came out being like huh maybe something like this did happen i don't don't know i don't know i can't tell you man but um that's up for the reader to decide i think same listener's got a little bit of a, a question on something he thinks he's picked up. So he says, I've noticed listening to Ryan for some time now that he's become less of an observer of and more of a commentator on UFOs and a little bit more of an activist. Do you think that's true, Ryan? And how do you see your journey in the subject up to now? Ooh, interesting. I haven't heard that before. Uh, I guess it would, it would depend on what they mean as an activist. I mean, uh, I, I've never, I'm not a field investigator. You know, I'm not boots on the ground going out to every alleged crash site or UFO sighting to investigate. I'm, I'm what I consider a freelance journalist. I, I love covering the topic. I love writing about it. I love doing the podcast. Um, so from observer to activist, the only thing I can think of in terms of that is, um, my work with, uh, Lou over at the um, the big phone home and the unidentified celebrity review. I, I thought what he's put together is incredible in the time that he's done it, the people he's got involved. And I think it's a very valiant effort to, you know, call your representatives and tell them to get interested in UFOs. Like, why not? You know, we we tweet to them about everything else that they're doing right or wrong on Twitter every day. Why not tweet to them about, uh, hey, UFOs, what do you think about it? We'd love to know. So um, I'm all for it. Um, I I think it's awesome. Uh, James Fox, as well, has put together the UAP Act now. Um, UAP UK is killing it over there. I mean, the coverage in England right now with the stuff Jeremy Corbell's brought forward is amazing. Uh, So yeah, I think all these groups coming together, I just, I find it really invigorating. Again, these are young people excited about UFOs, and they want to get involved. Um, so I think it's really cool. I'm all for it, and I'm I'm all in. You know, rah rah, let's do it. Let's call our representatives, and I'm trying here in New York. You know, we're we're trying. We got some we got some uh, scandals going on with our governor here in New York City right now that he's more worried about than UFOs. But uh, that's a story for another time. Yeah, uh, I've seen that, keeping up to date with my, my US politics news, as we were talking about before. Um, and from a UK point of view, I am involved with the big phone home, same with some of my colleagues at UAP Media. And we are going to be holding the fort from a UK point of view on the day as well, with some more details to come forward from that. Just talking to uh, Lou Jimenez just now over the, the Twitter feed. 
uh, on what we're going to be doing on the day to kind of kick things off because we are obviously up a and it's going to be later here, but earlier in the US, so we can kind of get things started while you guys are still getting out of bed, basically, in the morning. Uh, and I do have, do you know what? I'm going to have some of my Scottish listeners, Ryan, I have to pull you up when you said things from an English point of view. Just given I'm Scottish, we're going to say UK. Yeah, Ryan's making a face. I know there's going to be a few of the Scottish ones going, oh, I said England. And Damn I've got Welsh and Irish listeners too. So, yeah, let's keep it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've, I've, I've probably lost a lot of your audience at this point then. <laughs> Listen, you're based in New York. You should know better with the Irish contingent you've got over there as well. So, Oh, my God, man. It's insane. We've got Irish pubs every two feet here. I love it. I absolutely love it. I remember from my time over there. Uh, again, don't take me back. Um, yeah. <laughs> Ryan, here's a question for you you'll appreciate. As a stage writer, what is Ryan's view of the use of Hollywood and now streamed media like Netflix as a tool for disclosure? by potentially factions within the Pentagon and intelligence communities who are secret keepers, basically? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I think there, someone asked me the other day, they're like, what role does Hollywood play in all this? And I think it's a, it's actually an important question. I mean, we know for a fact that Hollywood is used for many recruitment things. I mean, I always go back to the whole Top Gun thing, you know, that movie was made specifically to get people to get go into the Air Force. And I think they said something like a 50 to 60 percent increase in recruitments after after that movie. Um, or you look at something like the X-Files. The Gulf, the Gulf War. Yes, exactly, man. Uh, I think, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what was it? Oh, Dana Scully from the X-Files. You know, this uh, scientist on television investigating all this weird stuff every week. Um, women weren't used to seeing that on, you know, primetime television. And I think after the X-Files, again, they said something like 80% increase in women uh, getting involved in different scientific fields. Like seeing, oh my God, I can do this. So she's become an icon for many people out there. Uh, so Hollywood has a very... Uh, important role, I think, in all of this. We know certain UFO movies and stuff were made specifically with funding from the government or the military. Uh, Independence Day being one of them uh, was was directly funded by the Air Force, and uh, and they kind of had a a weird contention going on with the people at Area Fifty One at the time. Like they were trying to sue the production. They said you can't use Area Fifty One in this. Um, and they're like, yeah, we're going to do it anyways. Uh, again, story for another time. Um, I think any sort of media, whether it's Hollywood, uh, theater, uh, music, any sort of art, uh, has a very important place in all of this. I mean, look at how many artists are involved in the UFO topic. It's, it's pretty cool. And I think that's because, uh, a lot of them are not afraid to speak their minds, to express themselves. And this is a topic that a lot of people uh, don't talk about because of the stigma and ridicule. Uh, but that's changing. I mean, look at all of these UFO shows out right now and movies and, and everything in between. It's more mainstream than it's ever been. So uh, I think it's exciting. I think we're going to see a lot more uh, UFO content coming out in the next couple years as the reality of the issue unravels before our eyes within the U.S. government and hopefully other governments. And I think it's cool. Again, um, it's just getting it out to more people, and I'm all for that. Uh, the struggle is always 
you know, when do you separate the entertainment from the information? And that, that, that's hard. And, uh, you know, when the television I've done, I went in saying, if I can just get as much credible information out there as possible, I feel like I've contributed something, but, uh, there will always be an entertainment aspect to it and we can't escape that, but that's what the world is. We live in a world of entertainment 24 seven. So yeah, it plays a very important role. Ryan, I think it's safe to say you've certainly contributed something to this field as well. Listen, we'll leave it there for this time, but you'll definitely be welcome back on any point with myself and just to come on and spitball and talk about whatever we can. How can listeners get in touch with yourself, Ryan? How can they find you? And obviously, I'll put the links to the, the book and everything within the description as well. Oh, thanks, man. No, this was a blast. I, I love coming on and talking to you. Um, I Everything I do is at my one-stop shop, Somewhere in the Skies, Dot com uh somewhere in the skies podcast releases every monday wherever you get that ufo podcast you can get somewhere in the skies um i think that's about it um i do a patreon bonus episodes you want to hear andy and i talk wrestling i'm sure we'll do a bonus episode at some point about that um i do that and then uh i have a youtube channel as well where i'm trying to pump out more video content of interviews and and case files. I have a series called Case Files, and uh, that's it, man. I'm I'm just always trying to do something, working on a new book. So you can keep up to date with me at somewhereintheskies.com. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet, and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer. A little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. Niner fans, George Kittle here with a pro tip for making the best play on your eyewear. Visit Zinni.com, the official eyewear of the 49ers. Zinni has changed the game for you, finally making prescription glasses affordable for everyone. At Zinni, you can find over 3,000 frames with unbelievable prices. Look for the Kittle's collection so you can rock our styles every day too. So visit Z-E-N-N-I.com, start shopping from home using their virtual try-on, and change your eyewear game forever. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average, and those savings add up. Imagine what you could buy in the future. So, yeah, I used the savings from switching to Progressive 50 years ago to finally buy my dream car. It's a self-driving flying car, but we just say self-flying now. You know, because it's the future, and cars fly in the future. 
So switch to Progressive and save big because those savings can add up in the future. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National annual average insurance savings by new customer surveyed who saved with Progressive in 2020. Potential savings will vary.